want to tell you about a month ago, uh, I don't know exactly how long, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I can't remember, um, I was summoned to jury duty. It's uh, that, that great privilege of living in our society. And, and really what it is, it's, it's outlined in the United States Bill of Rights that criminal defendants have the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. And never, never cease to thank God that that's the case, um, that we're protected against so many things. But in order for that to happen is we need to have willing jurors um, like myself ready, ready to go. Uh, Avon just got a jury summons in the mail, and you need to go in a, about a month or so, three weeks, something like that. Anyway, I was a, appeared, uh, uh, summoned to appear in the courthouse 8.30 on a Monday morning a couple weeks ago. And I got to this room, there were about 150 other people in this room, and we're told just to sit and wait, uh, wait for the court cases, see maybe they needed a, a juror, a jury. And so after about an hour waiting, 50 random names were called, and they were taken out of the room. I, I wasn't one of those, and so I sat and waited for another oh, half an hour, 30 minutes or so, and then my name was called along with 49 other jurors, and we were ushered into a courtroom. We took our seat in the gallery. And the judge explained a little bit about what was required of a juror and how they needed 14 jurors out of this pool of about 50 and um, 12 to serve as jurors and two to serve as alternates. And then 14 potential jurors were asked to come up and sit right in the jury box. They were questioned by the judge, by the prosecuting attorney, by the defense attorney. And after questioning, they told us to leave the courtroom and we left for maybe about an hour or so as they talked and deliberated. And, and we came back and it was announced that four of them, they're going to keep as jurors, but they needed ten more. And uh, so ten others were called at random and I was one of those ten. And so I sat down in the jury box and uh, faced the questions, the fam- familiar questions from the judge. And the judge said, do you know anyone involved in the case? Either the prosecuting attorney, the defense attorney, or or anybody in the the names of those who would be in the case. And um, I don't think any of us did, so we said no. And then was asked, have you ever been in a courtroom before? And I raised my hand as he went juror by juror by juror and asked me, uh, I said, judge, I am a pastor of a church, and I have been in a courtroom before for an adoption. As I saw Cora, Cora's not here today. So she's way out there, Cora. I was there when she was adopted by the Browns. And he said, yes, that was, a, that was a wonderful time, wasn't it? And he said, this is a little bit different, what we're here today about. Um, I said, do you know any police officers? I raised my hand. And I said, judge, I'm a pastor of a church. And there's a young man in our congregation who's just become a police officer. And Aram's not here today either, huh? He's, he's on the beat today. And uh, I said, he's just got his training, and just um, he wanted to know if I knew or talked about much of police things with him. And I said, I see him every week. I talk to him about once a month, is what I get around to uh, Armin. Um, another question, right? Do you have any reason why this particular case would be difficult for you to be impartial about? And I, of course, no, there's no reason for that. And so we went one by one through all the potential jurors. And then the prosecuting attorney questioned the the jurors, one by one. I'm like, how do you handle conflict? Because they really want to get the jurors away so they can deal with conflict well. I said, um, I'm a pastor of a church, and I know plenty about <laughs> conflict. Um, and so how do you resolve those? And so I, I talked a little about, about that. And then even um, got alcohol. 
Do any of you not drink alcohol? I raised my hand, and I said, no, I don't. And would you like to share why you don't? And I said, well, you know, I just want to be above reproach. I, I, I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone in my congregation. They know the pastor's never drunk. And so they as well would have just strength and integrity from that. Also then was asked about personally whether me being a pastor of a church, whether I'm able to separate my moral views with what is right and just in the courtroom. And I, I assured the prosecuting attorney that I, I could. And then the defense attorney questioned all the, the jurors one by one. And then as we were dismissed, the lawyers and the judge talked about it. It was about 45 minutes later, we got called in, and I was selected for the jury. And uh, so I went home that night about 8.30, uh, having got there about 8 o'clock, and uh, it was a long day, and then came back for the next two days, all long days, starting early in the morning, going late at night to hear this trial. And, uh, and this case was a case of sexual assault. It was sort of a horrific case that I, I heard. Uh, a young man had gone to a bar with a few of his friends, and well after midnight, a woman walked in with uh, one of her friends as well, and, and they, they danced a bit, they, they drank only a little, and it was closing time soon, and uh, so this is well after midnight closing time in, and this, this young man, along with his friends, invited this woman and her friend to their, their place, uh, a condominium, for an after party. Uh, where they, would, uh, they were given then the address, asked to come, and then they drove away in a nice sports car. And uh, these women were apprehensive about going. They'd only just met these men, and they, they stopped to think about it at a gas station. And one of the, the girls went in, and she got a cigarette, and she smoked that in the car as they were thinking about what they should do, and they decided to go. And uh, sensing the danger, they developed a code word to say in the event that either of them were, were felt uncomfortable, that this code word, if they said it, they would, they would leave. So there's some apprehension there already, but, but they went ahead and, and went. And, and they found themselves in this condo being the only two women amongst probably about a half a dozen other men. They were offered some drinks, the music was loud, they danced a bit, and at one point... Uh, one of the women um, was a little apprehensive and locked herself in the bathroom for a little bit. And uh, then the other was lured upstairs into the bedroom where she was sexually assaulted. She came down sobbing uncontrollably and, and with some difficulty they managed to leave the party. The victim then went home, talked with her mom, called the police, went to the hospital. And a few days later... Um, went to the police again and pressed charges against this man who was eventually arrested and then brought to trial. That's why we were there. And through the trial, we heard the detailed accounts of what took place. We heard from the friend of this victim who went to the party with her. We, we heard from the police officer who went to the house with the initial report. We heard from the hospital staff and the nurse and the doctor who examined this woman. We heard from the detective who followed up with the case and then eventually arrested this individual. We heard from an expert in DNA analysis who examined the samples that were collected. And I just say this, this woman's life was forever changed because of the drama that she experienced that night. Well, this morning as we come to our text, Proverbs chapter 7, as we've been working our way through Proverbs, having taken a break for Christmas in our church membership series, we, <clears throat> we see the very similar story. We, we see a similar story of uh, someone being attracted and lured and captured and caught, if you will. Only the roles are reversed. It wasn't the man. It's the man who was the victim and not the woman in Proverbs 7. 
And we see that in Proverbs 7, it wasn't by force, it was by coercion, though what I saw is by, by force. But in Proverbs 7, we'll see the power of persuasion and seduction. But in the end, we see the same result. The man's life is forever changed because of the drama experienced that night. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open up to Proverbs chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can find a, a Bible in the, one of the chairs in the, pew, in the chairs in front of you underneath them. And you can turn to page 531. And this morning we're going to cover the entire chapter. My message this morning is entitled, A Drama, A Deadly Drama. That's what my title is this morning. Because this is what we will see. We'll see a, a, a drama played out in these verses that ends in death. It will be helpful for us to read the, the whole passage. So let, let's begin. Proverbs chapter 7, beginning verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice. And I have seen among the simple, and I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, and she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait, and she seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings. Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have performed, perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he's taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast. Till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. It's really a a sad tale. It's It's a tale of a man being seduced by a woman, being where he shouldn't be, and listening to what he shouldn't hear, and following to where he shouldn't go, and doing what he shouldn't do. And in the end, it costs him his life, we see that in verse 23, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And we see 
We see the deadliness of it in verse 27. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That's why I've entitled my message this morning, A Deadly Drama, because of what we see. We, we see the drama unfold, and we see death at the end. Oh, maybe not physical death. Right? Not right away, he wasn't killed at the end of this. However, just the spiritual and emotional death and trauma that he experienced was awful. And such is the case with sexual sin often. Well, this chapter begins and ends with a father's exhortation to a son to listen to his wisdom. You can see right there, the counsel of a father. It begins in verses 1 through 5, and then it concludes in 24 through 27, right? Really bracketing this whole center drama about the importance of listening to the Father's counsel. He says in verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call in insight your intimate friends. Now we've seen this counsel several other times in the book of Proverbs. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 8. We see the similar. Hear my son your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O son, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Or chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Just over and over and over again, you see Solomon pleading with his son that his son would be wise and walk in the wise ways. In fact, 11 times so far up through chapter 6. This is the 12th time right here in chapter 7 that we see Solomon just saying, My son, my son, my son. They're sort of pleased that any father should give to his son or daughter to follow after the ways of the Lord. But by following after your counsel as it comes from the Lord through, through your experience of life and through their walking with the Lord, pleading with your children that walk in the ways of life. And children, you need to know that, that your father's instruction is a path to life. My son, verse 1, keep my commandments, treasure my commandments within you, keep my commandments and live. That's the promise of the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 2, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. It goes well with you as you honor your parents, children. We see here in Proverbs 7, the opposite of life in the land, but death when you refuse to follow. It's the example of a, of a son not following the counsel of his father. And, and Solomon tells his son, verse 2, to, to keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. You might say, okay, what does that mean, the apple of your eye? It's probably just the, the core part, the front part of your eye, just that which you can, you can see. It's the forefront of your mind. The, the metaphor is about that. When you read this in Scripture, the idea is protection. It's going to keep you. It's going to watch over you. Deuteronomy 32.10, we read of how the Lord cared for Israel as the apple of his eye, just caring for Israel. Uh, we see in Psalm 17, verse 8, David says, Keep me, O God, as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. The idea there's just protection. Watch, keep close to me. And that's the thrust of these words in Proverbs 7, is, is that, is that God's, the, the Father's commandments would be close. They would be near. They, they would be 
focused upon. They'd be paid attention to. In fact, so near, it says, verse 3, bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. That's how close your counsel should be, like readily accessible as your fingers are. Whenever you move your hands, there they are. You can't get away. In fact, it's, it's on your heart, ready to pull into your thought, into your mind to direct your actions. You should be so familiar with this counsel. It should be like siblings. Verse 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. Your father's counsel should be, should be, should be looked upon as, as someone's close and intimate, like a brother or sister. Not some wisdom that's on the shelf someplace. You say, oh yeah, yeah, where was that? Oh yeah, maybe it was in this book. And you open up that book and you, you page through and you say, oh, let's see. Oh yeah, yeah, there's the wisdom. It's not like that. It's not even like it's, it's on your phone where you, you oh, let me, let me Google about that wisdom. And, and you kind of Google it and whatever it takes a minute or so. No, this is something just right there. Intimate, close, near, dear that you can recall in any moment. And the particular reason comes here in verse 5. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And that brings forth the topic of Proverbs 7. The forbidden woman adulteress. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard about her. The first time was in Proverbs chapter 2. You can turn back there and uh, even look in verse 16. The argument was the same, right? Treasure wisdom. Seek wisdom. Like, pursue it so that, verse 16, you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. We heard about in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey And her speech is smoother than oil. But like today, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. And again, in chapter 6, verse 25, Solomon said this, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not get burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So it is, he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. We, we just see this theme again and again and again. Chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6. Chapter, you think this is important? That's why preaching through Proverbs is so so important even for us today. You think it's important for us today? It's amazing, is it not? 3,000 years since Solomon wrote this. And is this a problem today? How many men have been brought down by this? And it's taken down men for centuries. It's important today because the forbidden woman is on your desk today and is in your pocket today. And you need to stay away. That's his counsel. It's the counsel of a father. And Solomon teaches to his son because he has seen it. He has seen it and experienced it. He witnessed this deadly drama play out. That's what he begins to describe in verse 6. For at the window of my house, I've looked through my lattice. Now, today we look at screens. But back then, their only screen they had was the lattice around the house. So he's watching his screen actually through the screen, down onto the street. He said, I've seen the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And looking through this window, 
he witnesses the carelessness of the simple. And this is really where all sin finds fertile ground. It's where all sexual sin finds fertile ground. It's in carelessness. Carelessness. And we see it here that this is a young man. He's a carefree man. He's a man who's lacking sense. He is, even as it says here, he's a, a simple man. That he's naive. He's, he's unthinking. He just, he's just got not a care in the world. That's not, beloved, how we ought to live. The Bible tells us to fight against sin, not just be careless with it. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. There's the fight. We should fight for our sanctification. That's why in prayer meeting, we go over the fighter verses every week, just kind of to stir our our thoughts and our prayers. This, This week is Romans 8, 29 through 30, speaking about those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified, just helping us to stand firm in the security of God. So we need to fight the fight of faith, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. The Christian life's warfare, Ephesians 6, speaks about how we need to fight and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Paul told Timothy regarding sexual sin, he said, flee youthful passions. So flee from them, rather you should follow after and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But this careless, simple, naive man is is one who doesn't think much, and he makes bad choices in his life. In fact, the first bad choice he makes this, he says he goes where he shouldn't be. That is, he's outside late at night loitering in the streets where nothing good ever happens. Children, if you want to learn any piece of advice, why don't you you learn this? It's not wise to be out late at night. Proverbs 7 doesn't happen in the daylight. It happens at night. My father used to tell me this. He says, nothing good happens after midnight. George Whitfield said, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Of course, that was before broad electricity all around but i just say midnight's a good standard you want to push that back 11 o'clock whatever nothing good happens after midnight and we see nothing good coming his way in verse 10 and behold the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute wily of heart she is loud and wayward her feet do not stay at home now in the street now in the market at every corner she lies in wait this is the first step in a in a bad direction he goes where he shouldn't be in fact, this is where David's problems began. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 11, when, when all the kings used to go out to war, David just says, I'm not going to go where I should be. I'm going to stay right here, right where he shouldn't have been. He stayed at home. And rather than staying inside that evening, he went out to the balcony and looked and saw and gazed at the beautiful woman bathing. He went where he shouldn't be. That's where all where David's downfall began. And in my trial as a juror, it all began when these women entered the bar late at night. They shouldn't have been at the bar late at night. They shouldn't have been at the bar well past midnight. And the disaster that evening could have easily been prevented if she and her friend hadn't gone where they shouldn't have been. 
Well, returning to Proverbs, we see the next bad choice this man takes come in verse 13 when she begins her seductive ways. I'm just simply putting it like this. He listens to what he shouldn't hear. Look at verse 13 again. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. The enticement of sin, is it not? Making it look good. Making it look pleasant make you look sweet. Just, just consider how, how good this woman made it. She said she's a good woman. I'm a good woman. I have made things right with the Lord. As verse 14 says, I've just come from the temple. I am pure. She says also how lucky she is in verse 15 because I found you. You are so special to me. I love you. Come with me. Then she promises a nice evening on soft, soft couches in verse 16. It smells nice, verse 17. It will be delightful, verse 18. It'll be fine, verse 19. No one's going to find out. Husband is gone for a long time. He's not coming back for a month. Isn't that true of all sin? It's made to look so nice and fine when really it isn't. Nobody walks into sin seeing the evil. We always walk into sin seeing the good. When James speaks about temptation, he describes it like a fisherman. Okay? Nathan, are you here today? There you Nathan. Nathan. Yeah, you're here. I know you love to fish, right? You need to think about this fishing when you cast. You, what are you trying to do? You're trying to lure that fish, Right? With that lure you got, you're kind of making it bounce. You want that fish to grab, right? The fish doesn't see what's behind that lure, the hook, though, because you want to you catch it. And that's exactly how James describes sin. He says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire lures him and entices him. And eventually then will bite, not realizing there's a hook. But James says, when the desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So the fish grabs onto that hook. And the fisherman yanks to set the hook and reels it in. And that fish dies. And it's dinner that night. So it is with sin. Sin will lead to death. It may sound so pleasant, so nice, so good. But in the end, it will catch you. It will bring you death. As Romans 6.23 says, right? The wages of sin is, help me, is death. But the contrast there is what we need to know. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's, it's through faith in Jesus that we can be rescued from this death and from this sin and given eternal life, right? Can, can you just imagine that, fathom that, right? That, that though in Jesus there is death, that it, though, though in sin there is death in Jesus, right, there is life. As we simply believe in him who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so if you want any hope here, right, you want any hope in your, in your sin, your temptation, to re- realize that Jesus is the one who then gives us life. So I just say this, church family, seek him. Don't seek death. Pursue Christ. 
And listen to Jesus and not the sinful temptation. Because there, there's the battle there. There's the, the sinful temptation right there. But then there are these commandments you, you stirred up in your heart. And Jesus says, don't love the world, right? Pursue the Lord, right? Follow after him. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if these things are on your fingertips, the apple of your eye, in your heart, they'll come to mind and there'll be this battle. And I say, listen to Jesus. Don't listen to the sin. But when the temptations come, they're strong. In the trial I heard as a juror, it was when the men enticed the women to come by their place that this happened. Now, I don't know all that was promised, but certainly there's some persuasion. Oh, come over. Come over. It'll be fun. The music, some more food. We got some drinks for you. We'll dance the night away. Come, we'll have a, a good time. The night still is young. I don't know if those things were said, but that's potentially right the persuasion then they drive away in their sports car follow us and the disaster of the evening could have been prevented if she and her friend hadn't listened to what they heard what makes matters worse is that they thought about it there there was the is that is that really a trap is it not kind of like the fish who sees the lure and says oh there's something fishy about that (laughs) fishy right is that really it should i yes no and and they they doubted they they wait and then they went. She said, no, no, that's bad. Just let it go. We turn to Proverbs. We see the next bad choice man takes in verse 21 when he follows where he shouldn't go. Look at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, Till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And she captured him. Her seductive speech overcame him. He felt, in verse 21, compelled to go. Well, he only felt compelled to go because, first of all, he went where he shouldn't be. And second of all, he, he listened to what he shouldn't hear. And when you go where you shouldn't be and listen to what you shouldn't hear, pretty soon you're going to follow where you, you shouldn't go. And he went to his death. The picture that, ox, that Solomon uses here is of an ox going to slaughter. Corralled into a stall with nowhere to go. You get caught. The gate goes behind you. The cow is right there. And out comes a butcher's knife from behind. And the ox has no idea what's happened to him. Slit in the throat, dies. It's over for the ox. And so likewise, as a man in Proverbs went, not knowing that it would cost him his life. If only we could see the devastating consequences of our sin. Perhaps it's then that we might escape the perils that come and not follow where we shouldn't go. In the trial I heard as a juror, it was when the women stopped at the gas station, thought about it, and continued on to the condominium where trouble awaited, awaited them. And it was like at, at that moment, like the, the, the stage was set, and, and, and the men there were, they got their prey. They get him inside, and they got him there. But so why did they go? Why did these women go? Because sin is a blinding effect upon us all and we're captured by the allure of sin. We can easily walk down the wrong road. 
as these women walked into that condominium, really they were like oxen headed to the slaughter. The, the rest of the evening just played out like the men had planned. And we see the death then coming in verses 24 and following. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I just think in the, the trial that I heard, I, I, I have no data to go by this, but I, I would not doubt that there were many a victim who went into that condominium before under the guise of the same plan. I don't doubt that. I don't have any proof of that. But there it is going down to the chambers of death and those who engage in and follow after sexual sin of death in their future. And I just think about what happened in the life of this trial. This woman greatly dramatized, traumatized. When she gave her testimony there in the trial, she could barely look at the guy. And the, the prosecuting attorney asked her to describe what he was wearing. And it took everything within her over a minute to look up just ever so briefly to be able to describe sweater, gray sweater. Such was the trauma in her life. And the trauma in his life was very real as well. We found him guilty of four or five counts. Um, the judge came in later to thank us for our, our um, serving as jurors. And he said, do you have any questions about things? Of course, our question is, what's going to happen to him? And uh, um, he's going to be spending eight to 30 years, I think, in prison for two hours of pleasure. It's not worth it. If only he could see at the end, I don't think he would have gone through and assaulted that woman. Well, as I close my message, right? I want some gospel hope here rather than just all condemning, right? This has been a, just stay away, stay away. But I, I think about where can hope come? Maybe hope can come from someone who fell into sexual sin. Maybe hope can come from David who went where he shouldn't have been and maybe not listened but saw what he shouldn't have seen and then summoned what he shouldn't have summoned as he called Bathsheba into his house and they committed adultery and then there was a child and then the child grew, died, born and died and all these sort of problems. And David finally came to repentance. You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 51 where we see the, the end and, and there is hope. If you have fallen into sexual sin before, if you are tempted by sexual sin, just know there's hope. This isn't a message all of condemnation. No, the message is if you want life, if you want to go the, the smooth and happy way, then stay away. But if you've fallen, there, there is hope. When David cried out, and, and the hope is really only found in the, the mercy of God. This psalm was written to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba, after the sin. Here's David just pleading with the mercy of God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And there's where you find hope, coming to God penitent, on your knees, just pleading for mercy. 
pleading that, that God would wash us and make us clean. And the promise of Scripture is if you confess your sin, right? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And the reality here is, is David not denying his sin. He says, I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. He saw it. He said, but against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. There, there's a reality there is to own your sin. Don't say, oh God, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to do it. David didn't say anything like that. David fully owned his sin. He says, I've done what's evil, and it's, it's against you. It's high-handed rebellion against the Lord. And then in the next breath, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. That's not the mother's sin, but we're, we're born as sons of Adam into, into sin. He says, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And he's just saying there that God, this whole world is sinful. I'm part of that, oh God, and I need your mercy and I need your help. I need you to purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Verse 7. And to be washed and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And David described in Psalm 32 when he was struggling with his sin, he was like one who was sapped of heat, just despondent and no energy and wiped out. He said, restore me. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, right? Just got over and over. He's talking about just take it away from me, hide it, cleanse it, purify me. And that's what you need to do. Being caught in sexual sin is to plead with the Lord. And then, here it is, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, right? Cleanse me from within. He says, verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And, and this is David in his time praying that the, the anointing of him with the Holy Spirit upon him to be king. He says, don't let me lose my kingdom over this, O God. Don't, don't take your anointing from me, but create in me this clean heart and restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Right? Give me this joy again that I had. Sin can sap your joy. And then, I, I love this, right? This is enjoying His grace. And what, what happens after you enjoy His grace? You should what? Extend His glory, right? And look at how He's extending His glory. Verse 13. Then, as I am as I'm washed of this, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Those who have failed, according to Proverbs 7, are the very sinners He's talking about that I'm going to teach them, instruct them to go to God seeking mercy and grace. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, right? Extending your glory because I've known your grace. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And then he gets to the heart of Old Testament sacrifice. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what God doesn't despise. That's what God wants. He wants a broken heart, a contrite heart. Do good to Zion. Here he is praying for his kingdom. Do good to Zion. That is Jerusalem, Mount Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifice and burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be altered, offered on your altar. Just we're right with you. We'll walk in step with you. We'll, we'll offer rightly motivated sacrifices to you. So find hope in David, if that's where you've been. 
fall into sexual sin. But it, just know this, also Proverbs 7, this is serious. This is serious. This, this brings down to death. It's this deadly drama of sexual sin. And, and, and God counsels us. Our fathers counsel us. Stay away. Stay away. And don't be like this careless, simple man. Sucked into things where you sin. Let's pray. Father, the, the subject matter today has been difficult and hard and sensitive. God, but, but needful. Pray, God, by your grace, God, you would strengthen us for purity and righteousness and walking in your ways. God, delighting more in you than delighting in the, the passing pleasures of sin. May we be like Moses, who consider the reproach of Christ greater riches, God, than all the treasures of Egypt. God, because he was looking for the reward, and may we look for the reward. May we press on towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May we see what it is as we sang today about the, the, the flashes of lightning, the, the thunder around your throne when we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and who is to come. And the only reason we'll worship you, O Lord, is because of Jesus and what he's done for us. Help us to see that vision. God, protect us from the sin that so devastates us. It can be so devastating, so hurtful. And, and I do pray for this woman who is a victim. Um, God, my, my heart goes out for her. Just how traumatic this whole event has been and was. I pray that justice would be served. God, you'd show mercy and grace even through wrong choices and bad choices. God, even I, I don't know her, won't ever meet her. But God, I pray you'd, you'd grant her salvation. God, show her the only hope where hope can be found is in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.